Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, now we turn our hearts to you. We turn our hearts to you on that great day in which so much happened when we say just so simply that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. But what really happened? Help us to understand now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you turn, please, in your Bible to John chapter 19, in this great passage here, the last chapters in the book of John, leading up to this great event of the resurrection. And... um John chapter 19, looking now at the, uh, at really at the end of the, the chapter, John chapter 19, and look with me in verse 38. John chapter 19, verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus... And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid." There laid they Jesus, therefore, because it was the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene, sorry, going on to the next chapter, verse 1, chapter 20, verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, And saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, went into the sepulchre and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went away again into their own home. But Mary stood without the sepulchre, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre and see two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? 
she saith unto him, because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had said thus, when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the garden, saith unto him, sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Now, this is the record of the resurrection, and I wanted to read it all because it's so important for us to have this in our minds. This is the record of the Lord Jesus, and it starts with these words, really, of, of his death in the previous chapter in verse 30, when it says in John 19, 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed the head and gave up the ghost. Now, the Lord Jesus has already emerged onto the battlefield. He's the great seed of the woman who was the head crusher of Satan. He was so long anticipated. The battlefield was the cross. That's where the Lord Jesus, as our great warrior, he came and battled for our lives. He appeared having lived a life he appeared on this battlefield, and he had lived a life with absolute purity. He was pure before God and man. He had thought not one evil thought. He had said not one evil word. He had done not one evil, uh, e- evil action. He was pure, absolutely pure. As a matter of fact, he came to the cross. Before he came to the cross, having lived this life publicly of purity, complete transparency before his enemies. He turns to his enemies and he asks them in John 8, 46, John 8, 46, which of you convinceth, which of you convicteth me of sin? That was a critical question that was posed to his enemies because they, which one of them could point out a sin in his life? And there was a silence that said it all. The answer was none, no one. He was the, he was our pure savior when he stepped onto the battlefield of the cross to fight for our lives. And on that battlefield, the cross, he fought from a position of absolute purity. He fought as the only man who's ever lived a sinless life. On that battlefield, the cross, he fought alone, soul. He was alone because his disciples had fled from him and one denied him. He was alone as even God pulled back and forsook him when he cried out in Matthew 27, 46. Matthew 27, 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's what he was on the battlefield. He was alone, forsaken by man, forsaken by God. He fought valiantly alone for our lives. And on that battlefield of the cross, he fought with the load of our sins on him. An unbelievable, unbelievable, but that's what actually happened. God the Father made him to be our sin offering, 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin or our sin offering for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It was on that battlefield that he fought with all the wrath of God coming down against sin that was focused on him, 
That's Galatians 1.4, Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. On that battlefield of the cross, he was the head crusher of Satan. He fought against the devil, and he crushed his head, as it says in Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy the works, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. That was him on the cross, on that battlefield. On that battlefield, he, he, he fought against Satan. He not only destroyed Satan, but he disintegrated. He took apart the works of Satan. That's 1 John 3, 8. 1 John 3, 8. He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy or disintegrate the works of the devil. On that battlefield of the cross, he defeated death, and he defeated the grave itself. It says in Hosea 13, 14, Hosea 13, 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. That's what gives rise to the verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? On that battlefield of the cross, he fought and died for one purpose, so that he could bring us to God. That was it. He could bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18, 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. On the battlefield of the cross, he fought and he died for our sins. In 1 Corinthians 15.3, 1 Corinthians 15.3, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It's so wonderful, but on the battlefield of the cross, he was victorious, and that was all that was behind when he shouted in John 19.30, it's finished, it's finished, it was finished. What was finished? The soldiers came, and they saw that he was absolutely dead. They came to break his legs just to confirm that he's dead, but they said, it's so obvious that he's dead. We don't have to do that in John 19.32. John 19.32, then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. Why? Because on the battlefield of the cross, it was his dead body. It was his dead body that showed that he had died completely for since he was dead. And when the soldier came and put that sword to his side and pierced his side, what happened in John 19.34? John 19.34, one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. Whatever blood was left in his body, our great warrior is dead. And whatever blood was left in his body, it flowed over the tip of the soldier's spear and down onto the ground. Our great, that was our great warrior our great warrior on the battlefield of the cross, and he's now dead. And there was a solemn silence on the battlefield because sin had been defeated, death had been conquered, Satan had been crushed, and God is now appeased, and we are free. And that all happened 
because of our great warrior savior. He did it all, and now he's there on the cross, and he's dead. And now it seems is that the only thing left to do is to bury our warrior savior. And so suddenly there emerges out of nowhere, not Mary, not his mother, not Mary Magdalene, not Mary his mother, not any of the apostles, not John even, but a man named Joseph. He comes out of nowhere, and we see him begging for the body of Jesus. When it says in Luke 19.38, Luke 19.38, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. So here he is, this man, Joseph of Arimathea. We never saw him before, but he's one of those secret friends. He's a secret friend of the Lord Jesus. He's a secret disciple of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea, a secret friend of Jesus. Why? Because he feared the Jews. He feared the Jews. What was there to fear? They already decided in Luke, um, in John 9.22. In John 9.22, it says, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. So that was a price, and that was a price which for Joseph of Arimathea was too great. It was too great a price for Joseph to pay. He didn't want to be ostracized from the Jews. He didn't want to be separated from the Jews. He didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. He didn't want to be excommunicated. So he did not confess the Lord Jesus openly, but he remained a secret friend of the Lord Jesus. But now, after Joseph has seen this valiant warrior Savior die openly on the cross, Joseph doesn't want to be a secret friend of the Lord Jesus any longer. And he steps out openly and he begs openly the body of the dead warrior, the Lord Jesus. But Joseph is not the only one who's been overwhelmed by what the, the warrior savior, the Lord Jesus, has done. Now, another secret friend emerges. He comes out from the shadows. He comes out from the corners. And this is in John 19.39. John 19.39, there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Another secret friend. This secret friend is Nicodemus. He's emerged also out of the night. He's come out of the night because that's how he's named in scripture. When we see him all through Scripture, we saw him first in John 3, 2. John 3, 2, where it says, this same came to Jesus by night. Then we saw him in John seven fifty, John 7, verse 50, where he was called, he that came to Jesus by night. And then now we see him as Nicodemus in John nineteen thirty nine. We see him now as Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. But now... Nicodemus is no longer coming to Jesus by night. Now he's in the broad daylight, and in, in he's, he's come to the Lord Jesus, the dead warrior. And, he's a, a, that, a, and, and that was why it says, who at the first came to Jesus by night. That was in the past. That was in the first. But now it's all changed. And we see these two secret friends who have come out of the shadows, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and now they're working together. In a beautiful, harmonious Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren 
to be together. These brethren are working together. And while Joseph of Arimathea, he's now out in the open obtaining the permission from Pilate to take the body of Jesus, Nicodemus is now out in the open obtaining from local merchants spices to prepare the body of the Lord Jesus for burial. Now, you would have thought that of all the things to be afraid of, here's the shame and the reproach of the cross, that it would have made these two secret friends of the Lord Jesus even more secret in their friendship of Jesus. But that's not what happened at all. In fact, it's just the opposite. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus now have this confession that Paul later will give in Romans 1.16. In Romans 1.16, where Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The cross has not made Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus ashamed. The cross has done the opposite. It's emboldened them because they've seen their great warrior savior, the Lord Jesus, as he has fought valiantly and died on the battlefield. And now they openly want to be identified with their warrior savior, even though he's now dead. And now the permission has been obtained from Pilate. The spices have been been obtained from the merchants. And these two former secret friends of Jesus now meet together. They're back at the cross. And we see them in verse 30, John 19.30. John 19.30. Then took they the body of Jesus, and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of Jews is to bury. So here they are, these two former secret friends, now openly seen together, lifting the cross out of the ground, removing the nails from the hands and the feet, and of their and, and handling the body of their victorious, dead warrior savior, Gently they handle it. With great honor they handle it. With great respect they handle the body of the Lord Jesus. And they carry the body of the Lord Jesus into some house, we don't know where, to prepare the body of Jesus for burial. And there in that house, we can see them now as we imagine them reverently washing the dust from the body of the Lord Jesus. There in that house, we can imagine and see them as they reverently wash the blood from the body of the Lord Jesus. And as they wash that blood, they think to themselves, oh, this is the blood. This is the blood. This is the blood of my warrior Savior that that bought my redemption. And we can imagine them just before washing the blood from the body that they were thinking to themselves, maybe the, the words that Peter would later write in 1 Peter 1.18, 1 Peter 1.18, for as much as you know you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So just before they wash the blood from the body of the Lord Jesus, we can imagine them thinking, this is the blood that's described in Exodus 12, 13, Exodus 12, 13, where God said, the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. I will Pesach over you, pass over you, and the blood and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Just imagine 
Just imagine Nicodemus. He's handling the body of the Lord Jesus. He's looking at the blood. He's seeing the blood of the Lord Jesus on his clothes as he's handling on his hands. And he turns to his friend Joseph of Arimathea and he says, Joseph, look at this blood on my hands and my clothes. This is the blood. This is the blood that was referred to in Leviticus 17.11. Leviticus 17.11, which says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you upon the altar. It's the blood that makes an atonement for the souls. This is the blood. This blood on my hands, on my body, is the blood that makes an atonement for our souls. And before washing the blood from the body of Jesus, we can imagine both of them as they sort of thought back to that night, that Passover night. And they sort of imagined in their minds, we can think, as they thought, I feel like the Father's. I feel like the fathers, the night before, the night of the Passover, each father killed the lamb. He went over to the door of his house and he splashed the door on the top and he splashed the door on the right side and splashed it on the left side. And it was blood was on that door and the angel of death came that night and didn't destroy that house because he saw the blood that God had commanded it to be up there. But now they're thinking, but we're like the fathers on the next day. The fathers and the families of Egypt who on the next morning after that night of death, when the angel of death had passed through Egypt and killed all the firstborn, except for the houses that had the blood on them, they pictured each father the next day before washing the blood off of the door of the house, stopping and thinking to himself, behold the blood. The father would say, behold the blood. This is the blood that protected my firstborn last night from the angel of death. And then the fathers would wash the door. And it was after the night of horror, after the night of passing of the angel of death, when the fathers washed the the, the blood from their doorpost, and they thought, that's the blood that protected me from the wrath of God. And for Nicodemus and Joseph, it was after this midday of horror when the Lord Jesus had cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Nicodemus and Joseph now are washing the blood from the body of the Lord Jesus, and they're thinking, this is the blood that protects me from the wrath of God. And so Nicodemus and Joseph, just before they wash the blood from the body, they pause and they say, this is it. This is the blood. This is the blood that was promised back to Eve the one who would crush the heel, crush the head of the Satan and receive the bloody heel in, 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 in the process. This is the blood. This is the blood. You can imagine these two now overcome with emotion. Their tears are now falling on the body of the Lord Jesus, and they must have thought of that woman. They must have thought of that woman back in Luke 7.37. Luke 7.37, the forgiven sinner. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. 
You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Experience a short-term missions trip to Israel, the land and people to whom the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Not only walk where the Lord Jesus walked, but reach who He reached, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Be a part of the encouraging Jewish friends to receive the Lord Jesus. Israel Alive is all about making friendships with lost Israelis that will hopefully be eternal. We hope you'll join us in reaching the nation of Israel one friendship at a time. For more information, visit us at israelalive.org. That's israelalive.org. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Join us for the Taste of Creation silent auction and fundraiser for the Creation and Earth History Museum, Israel Restoration and Friendship with God Ministries on Saturday, July 14th at 6 p.m. Enjoy an amazing evening of fantastic food, music, prizes, and a special message by Ministry President Tom Cantor and guest speaker Frank Sherwin. Your participation and support of this fun-filled evening helps sustain these vital ministries to equip future generations and promote the furtherance of the gospel message. Register today at www.tasteofcreation.com. That's tasteofcreation.com. <laughs> 